Oh, boy. Do you remember when it would rain? Oh, way back, of course, even before we got here. And Jim Jones and his wife were down Elkhorn, and it would just flood there. Uh, the one time, well, not the first, not the only time, but the first time I wound up on the news was wading into their house. I, I didn't always use the waiters in the baptistry. I also used them going to see people and, uh, wound up, uh, wound up on the news because they, they were in their house and it was flooded like crazy. Long story behind that. But I understand that, um, there's more coming in tonight, more wind and rain than we had last night. As far as the wind, I mean, it got up to 68, 68 uh, miles an hour over here at McClellan. That's, uh, that's really something. But uh, just pray that people are safe, and some have not been. Uh, some things that have happened out there, quite a storm, quite a storm. So as far as announcements, once again, next Sunday, we start Sunday through Wednesday with Brother Mike Schrock. I'm looking forward to that. Let's be praying for Tim Schmidt. He's preaching uh, back east. He and Megan are back there. And uh, then Brother Whiteside, he is uh, he's preaching down in Larkspur today. <clears throat> I'm going to stay down there tonight and drive back tomorrow. I don't envy him because he's be he's going to be coming through that that weather trying to get home. We just uh, about an hour ago we were online. We were watching our grandson Caven preach down in Manteca. Uh, they have a they have a night where they. The teens take everything over. The teens do the, the choir, and then they have three young men uh, that will preach uh, briefly. And he got up there, and I was shocked. I, I thought, man, you know, I, I tried to I tried to give him an outline. He goes, no, I've got this. He's put it together already. And I thought, you know, Papa, back off. He, you know, he don't need you. And when I was hearing him preach, I thought, yeah, he doesn't need me. He's doing really good there. So. Praise God for that. All right, take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 2. This morning, it was in 2023, continue. I'm going to call this tonight, in 2023, persevere. There is, there, there's a couple of verses here. We're going to go through verses 1 through 10. There's a couple of verses we could just camp out on for the whole service, and I'll show you, I'll show you what I mean. But what we will do, let's go ahead and read verses one through ten in Colossians two. And 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 I pray our eyes are open because there there there's there's truth here that I so desire everybody in the church to know. You'll see what I mean. Let's pray, and then we'll read those first ten verses. Heavenly Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would give us understanding, open our eyes, and I pray that, Lord, Faith Baptist would grow and mature because we have the attitude that Paul encouraged the church at Colossae to have. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, 
Let's start with verse 1 in Colossians 2, catching him obviously in mid-thought, but that's what we have to do as we work our way through a letter. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the fullness of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwell, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Paul says right away, I desire for you to know something. The, the Apostle Paul, in dealing with the church at Colossae, understanding what they were going through with the Gnostics, had a passion, and you will see it in the next several verses, had a passion for these people to have a knowledge that would not only set them free from those that tried to enslave them, but also have a knowledge that they would embrace Christ Jesus. You cannot get away from this, that every time Paul came before people, Paul wrote to people, his passion was Christ. And, and you'll see what I mean. You'll see what he means here. He uses the word conflict that I have for you. That harkens back to Colossians 1.29 when he mentions the striving. This man did an incredible amount of spiritual exercise trying to woo people, not only leaving what they were, what some were falling after back into, uh, there in Hebrews where they were going back to the old way, the old testament as it were, and not to the new and what they had in Christ, but also those that Satan was stirring up to try to enslave them in other ways. Look at verse 2, that their hearts 
might be comforted. He's talking about people he's seeking to have an influence with being knit together in love. Now, this is interesting. That word comforted is encouraged, confirmed in the faith. He says that, that their hearts, they might find this, this, this foundation and their joy in it being knit together in, in love. That's interesting. Expositors makes this comment. They believe, the the writer of expositors in this particular situation here says, there may be a reference to the tendencies, to the divisive tendencies of the false teaching. When you have false teachers come into fellowships, into churches, and the body of Christ in general, what they wind up doing is trying to divide believers. We are to be united in him. They come along and they say, no, the Bible isn't the only, that's not all you need. You need what we're telling you as well. Or everybody's getting it wrong about this. We know what this verse is saying. And even though, like we have mentioned before, the Bible interprets itself, they will reject that and they will seek to come after people and draw people away by trying to get them to believe that they have a uniqueness when it comes to approaching the Word of God. That's why the Roman Catholic Church can get you into so much trouble. It's the Bible plus the Pope or the Bible plus the edicts of the church at Rome. There are other organizations, you know, the Bible plus the writings of Ellen G. White or Mary Baker Glover Patterson Eddy or other people. It's the church plus the edicts that certain people put out in speaking in tongues. No! The Bible is the complete word of God. And therein is our, all things of faith and practice in our Christian walk. You don't need to add to it, and you dare not take anything away from it. But now watch this. Look at verse 3. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Who is the him? The him is Christ. And then Paul says this. They're hid. All the treasures, all the treasures. You know why he said all? Because, again, the Gnostics were trying to say, no, no, listen, we have, we have, we have wisdom that you need. You can't understand this unless you have us. Now, again, there are those that say, no, you're not going to get it unless you have us. The Jews sought to do it. The Gnostics sought to do it. You've got to have, you, you, you've got to have the, the, the writing of the scribes, et cetera, et cetera. That doesn't work. Again, going back to expositors, I want you to read this. This is very telling. Listen to this. The force, speaking of this verse, verse three, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, expositors says this. 
The force of this passage then is this. All, and not merely some, of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are contained in Christ. Everything, folks, we need is in Christ. Let no one at Faith Baptist ever forget that. It's not in the pastor. It's not in extra writings coming in from another organization. It's in Christ. Let me continue. Therefore, the search for them outside of him is doomed to failure. But not only are they in Christ, but they are contained in a hidden way. Now, continue to listen, please. Therefore, they do not lie on the surface, but must be sought for earnestly as men seek for hidden treasure. They are not matters of external observances, such as the false teachers enjoined, but to be apprehended by deep and serious meditation. Now, please catch this. What they're talking about when it comes to this passage, in whom are hid, Christ, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Remember when the Lord told us, and you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. There are those that come along and they say this. Okay, and, and, and you'll see this later on. If you do this, this, and this, and hold this tradition and this tradition and this tradition, you'll do fine. No. There is no cheap, easy way to learn more and more of Christ. It's meditation in the Word of God that gives you the Son of God and opens up Him to us. We seek Him through His Word. Again, there's no cheap, easy way to go after Him. So this is what Paul does. He tells the church at Colossae, listen, here is how you make spiritual progress. This is what you do. You persevere. You go after him. Look at verse 4. There's the need for perseverance. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. There's a, there, there's a commentator by the name of Lightfoot. He quotes Paul like he's saying this. He says, listen, I say all this to you, lest you should be led astray by those false teachers who speak of another knowledge, of other mysteries. And that's what the Gnostics were trying to do. I don't know how many of you have ever, you know, you, you've been, there have been those that have um, uh, gone after you. Maybe they're trying to tell you something. I'll never forget. One time, our, our daughter was living down further south in Sacramento. And uh, my wife and I came. It was Christmas Day. 
And here we are, we're, we're getting ready, we're going into their house, and here came up the sidewalk a couple of ladies, Jehovah's Witnesses. It was Christmas Day. And I was kind as best as I could. But I let them know, number one, they are not welcome. And number two, their religion is dooming them. This lady had, had apparently had knocked on our daughter's door once before. And, uh, you know, she was, she was trying to show herself kind as well. She says, well, you know, I was a Baptist for a while. I was a, you know, and I would, I said, you know something? You never believed it to begin with. You never trusted Christ. So with that, they went off in a huff, you know, and that was it. The point is this. There's going to be people, again, be it the Mormons, be it the Jehovah's Witnesses, whoever, they're going to say, look, you can't do what you're talking about here. There's going to be people that will, it'll, it'll sound good. The word beguile literally means to reason alongside. Hey, we believe just like you, but look at this. Now, get get this, get this. The cults don't go after, you know, unsaved people as much as they do those that already have a religious background. Now, true, like the Mormons, they'll go someplace and they'll, you know, they'll 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 give their spiel. That you know, they'll do this. But here in the United States. They go after people that have a religious background quite a bit. He is talking about enticing words. Paul is. This is a false discourse is what that means. It talks about the persuasive arguments of a lawyer. Satan is a liar. And as we know, with Adam and Eve, he will use half-truths, to get people to follow him. You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Well, they would know good and evil, all right, but they weren't going to be, they weren't going to be gods. Here's the nature of the perseverance. And this is fascinating to see. Look at verse five. He uses the picture of a soldier. For though I be absent in the flesh, Yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your, and the first word is order, and the, and the next word is steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Order means the arrangement of the army in ranks. Steadfastness is a soldier in battle formation, presenting a solid front. So the first thing that he does when it's a picture of, look, This is who we are. This is what you do. He says, here we are as a soldier. But then in verse 6, he presents God's people as pilgrims. Look at verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. He's already told them in Colossians 1, walk worthy of the Lord. In Ephesians uh, Paul uses the image of this walk at least seven times. 
We are to walk in Christ. We are to pilgrim. We are to go on our journey the very same way that we started with Christ. And that is in faith. In faith. You started with Christ. You continue with Christ. You started with faith. You continue with faith. This is how we make the progress. This is how we persevere. Then look at verse 7. He uses one word, rooted. That's an agricultural term. You are rooted in Christ. You do not change the soil. And then immediately he goes to another picture and built up in him. Now we're in edifice, and that edifice is going and growing up. The foundation is Christ. You don't change the foundation. You build on that foundation. Built up in him. Then he uses the picture of a school. Look at the next phrase. And established in the faith as ye have been taught. Now Paul hearkens back to what Epaphras has been teaching the people in Colossae, the truths of the word of God. But here came the false teachers, and they're trying to undermine the teaching that Epaphras has brought. Folks, there are those that are seeking to build, excuse me, they're seeking to destroy the church in general from within. We've got to be very careful about that. This is one of the reasons why we say, listen, be, be, be careful what you read. Be careful what you listen to in a podcast. Not because I'm trying to be the only, it, it, it's, it's not that. But there are people out there that are making all kinds of money in books that are trying to undermine what the church is built upon. Case in point, the shack. Just think of it. Satan has a difficult time getting off track a Christian who is built on the foundation of Christ. Let's go to this. Go to the next phrase again in verse 7. Abounding therein with thanksgiving. That word abounding has the idea of, as we're seeing now, a river that is overflowing. But this is someone who is overflowing with thanksgiving. When somebody is overflowing with thanksgiving to God, when they're recognizing through everything that they're learning what Christ has done for them, they're growing. That's great. But then also, he says this, keep watching for spiritual perils. And this is something, again, we can encourage each other in, and we've got to keep note of. Look at verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you. Now, we, we know what that, in the Greek, it's someone that's carried off as a captive through philosophy and vain deceit 
after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and notice again what he's saying, and not after Christ. The philosophy of false teachers is deception, period. It's what takes place. Now, he used a couple of words. First of all, he talked about tradition. Now, the word traditions just simply means that which is handed down, and there are some things that are good. 1 Corinthians 15.3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. The hard thing is, and I know personally one situation that this is dealing with, is there are people that are doing this. They're, they're, they're taking the words of Paul, how he speaks about tradition, but then they are in, in, inserting traditions that Paul never called for. But they're saying that he did. They're lying. And what they're doing is what the Judaizers did of old. You can't be a good Christian except you first become a good Jew. Now, really, when you boil the fat out of it, that's what's taking place. And that, folks, is wrong. It's godless. But again, they're seeking to do it. Somebody was challenged just recently that has kind of a tie to this church. They were asked, when's the last time, it was something like this, when's the last time your pastor preached from the New Testament? They couldn't remember. Now that's wrong. I remember, I I, I preached out of Malachi here some time ago, and I love preaching from the Old Testament. But um, somebody wrote in through Sermon Audio, it was so good to hear a Baptist preacher preach from the Old Testament. Well, yeah, you know, there, there's truth that, that, is, that is there. But now, wait a minute. I am not here to get us to keep the Ten Commandments. You get Christ in you, you know what you'll wind up doing? you'll wind up keeping, as it were, the Ten Commandments. You're not going to learn in Christ that you ought to murder people, etc., etc. You know what I mean. So we wind up being careful of this thing where people try to carry us back. I don't know how many of you have ever um, used this. Dan, uh, I, I think maybe you might have gotten into this before, or Mike. You ever gotten into the uh, Edersheim's Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah? Yeah. Interesting, interesting book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. There's a situation where Edersheim talks about what people would do uh in light of the law, in trying to make things a little bit easier for them in their lives if they wanted to do certain things. I could spend a lot of time on this. It's amazing what you wind up finding here. 
But listen to this. And I'm catching, again, this in in mid-thought from Edersheim. Thus, supposing a number of small private houses to open into a common court, it would have been unlawful on the Sabbath to carry anything from one of these houses to the other. This difficulty is removed if all the families deposit before the Sabbath some food in the common court when a connection is established between the various houses which make them one dwelling. This was called the Arub of courts. Similarly, an extension of what was allowed as a Sabbath journey might be secured by another one, a, a, a commixture or connection of boundaries. An ordinary Sabbath day journey extended 2,000 cubits beyond one's dwelling. But if at the boundary of that journey, a man deposited on Friday food for two meals, he thereby constituted it his dwelling, and hence he could travel another 2,000 cubits. There was another one. When narrow streets or blind alleys were connected into a private dwelling by laying a beam over the entrance or extending a wire or rope along such streets and alleys. This, by a legal fiction, Edersheim's Edersheim's words, made them a private dwelling so that everything was lawful there which a man might do on the Sabbath in his own house. So all we have to do is run a wire or run a rope from here to the parsonage to, you know, Lynn and Larry's house and on and on, and we've got one house. Piece of cake. And yet in all these wearisome details, again, Edersheim's words, there is not a single trace of anything spiritual. They argued what constituted a private place, a public place, a wide space, which belongs neither to a special individual nor to a community. It went on and on. Burden. Here was something else that they wound up debating. A burden meant, at the lowest standard of it, the weight of a dried fig. Now, see, Paul would have found this to be interesting because he knew about this. When he's talking about the traditions of men, it's like people go crazy trying to make different ways to live if this is what they're stuck to. But if half a fig were carried at two different times, lifted or deposited from a private into a public place or vice versa, were these two actions to be combined into one so as to constitute the sin of Sabbath desecration? And if so, under what conditions as to state of mind and locality? The standard measure 
for forbidden food was the size of an olive. If a man had swallowed forbidden food of the size of half an olive, rejected it, and again eaten of the size of half an olive, he would be guilty because the palate had altogether tasted food to the size of a whole olive. Now, you might think, huh, there, no, wait, no, there's nobody that goes through this kind of thing. You invite a Jehovah's Witness child to a birthday party. They cannot partake because to them, birthdays are anathema. But as soon as the birthday party is declared over, then they can have some cake. You don't think we're not doing that today? All kinds of things. See, this is why we don't go after the tradition of men, and we don't go after the rudiments of the world, the, the, the basic elements, as it were, that make up knowledge, and they wind up spiritually speaking or religiously speaking, you know, in ceremonialism, the washings, the meats, the drinks, all of that. We don't get wrapped up in that. Why? Because we have Christ. Look at verse 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and powers. Now, the Gnostics, they believed that the angels in the heavenly bodies influenced people's lives. Paul warned, he warned them, and this is, com- is coming in, in chapter 4, Paul warned the Colossians about the new moon and other religious practices determined by the calendar through the Jewish people. We don't live by that. We don't live by Ouija boards. We don't live by horoscopes. We live by Christ. Period. Why follow empty philosophy when you have the fullness in Christ? This is like turning away from satisfying things to starve to death on something that is empty. Hundreds of years before, Jeremiah, through God, pointed out this when it came to the Jews way back when. Jeremiah chapter 2, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed themselves out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You get it? When he says that Christ is the fullness, he means the sum total of all that God is, all his being, all his attributes. No wonder he warned us to not get away from the simplicity that is in Christ. We just, we just celebrated 
Christmas. Remember Matthew one twenty three. He is Emmanuel, God with us. We have Christ, and we are taught ye are complete in him. There are hid treasures in him, and we need to dig for them in our personal study and be challenged to go after them in the public discourse in the local church. The answer is not an organization. The answer is not inactivity. The answer is Christ. It's Christ in you, in us, the hope of glory. And for that reason, we need to go after the fullness of Christ. Not after tradition, not after rudiments, not wind up in a situation where we are, you know, we're going after things that we ought to do and not to do, okay, in order to be the proverbial good Christian. I remember, I remember when, uh, <clears throat> you, you didn't see this a whole lot. When we were, when I was in construction, we actually brought notes with us from Edersheim. And it was interesting to read about some of the rabbis and what they would go through in order to prove themselves worthy. The one, and, and I don't have this in my notes, <laughs> but the one that I recall right now was the one known as the bleeding rabbi. Why was he known as the bleeding rabbi? Because when a woman would walk by, he would, he would purposely close his eyes so he wouldn't lust after her. The problem is, what happens when you close your eyes and you keep walking? You're going to wind up finding a wall someplace. And they did. And when they hit the wall, guess what they did? Ergo, their name was the bleeding rabbi. This is all in Edersheim. It's fascinating. But it's also sad. Because Paul is writing not only to the church at Colossae, but he's hearkening out, as we read, and as you heard him say, the the church in Laodicea. You've got to understand what you have in Christ. I pray that's what we find out. The fundamental test of any religious teaching is this. Where does it put... Jesus Christ. Where does it put his person? Where does it put his work? Does it rob him of his fullness? Does it deny either his deity or his humanity? That is affir- does it affirm that, be- that the believer must have a new experience to supplement his experience with Christ? If so, That teaching is wrong. By God's grace, let's keep the focus on Christ because it is in Christ we have his fullness. 
Let's pray.